they can maybe relate to more on a personal level or so. But at the end of the day, they're coming to receive a service. They're not coming to make a friend. They can, they have a lot of friends. They're not. Welcome to Inside Reproductive Health, the shop talk of the fertility field. Here you'll hear authentic and unscripted conversations about practice management, patient relations, and business development from the most forward-thinking experts in our field. Wall Street and Silicon Valley both want your patience, but there is a plan if you are willing to take action. Visit fertilitybridge.com to learn about the first piece of building a fertility marketing system, the goal and competitive diagnostic. Now, here's the founder of Fertility Bridge and the host of Inside Reproductive Health, Griffin Jones. Today's show, I've got Dr. Rony Elias. We talk about patient satisfaction and reputation management. If you just took a soundbite from either side, you might think that Dr. Elias is all about being a warm and fuzzy doc. And on the other side, you might think this is a stone cold rules physician. It's likely the balance between those two that has allowed Dr. Elias to be a very highly rated physician, having hundreds of of positive online reviews in several different platforms. I first noticed it in 2015 when he had only been in REI at Wild Cornell for four years after finishing his fellowship in 2011. And that trend continues today. So we talk about the success that he's had in patient satisfaction and developing so many positive online reviews. And you might take note of the balance that he strikes in this conversation. Dr. Elias, Roni, welcome to Inside Reproductive Health. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very much looking forward for this, Griffin. The nature of today's episode is the nature of the same way you and I met. I don't know, but you're one of the earlier docs that I met in the fertility field that moved back to the United States and 2015. And that was probably the year that we met. And I came to see you in your office. And, and I was trying to think of how, well, how did we connect in the first place? And I'm pretty sure it's this topic of patient satisfaction and online reputation, which dovetails with, with more of my space. And, and you had one, a, a good one back then. And then I just checked up on you again this morning, like, oh, darn, Ronnie's doing really well. And so let's start really broadly because there's something that causes patients to say that they love you and not just do that, but do so in mass. And there's a difference there because there's a lot of people whose patients love them, but they don't always say so publicly in mass. So let's start with what you believe the tenets of patient satisfaction are. What do you think it critically boils down to? Again, thank you for having me. Actually, I remember when we first actually met, you had reached out to me and I find your model to be like amazing. I didn't know that there's anybody like you that was out there, like looking to just focus on fertility, social media, marketing, all of this other stuff. I think we contacted when I had first started at Cornell. Actually, I never moved outside the country. I was always here, but I was just starting my practice and a few years later, and that's when you contacted. And the same thing you asked me, like, I don't want to be too philosophical, but I think to simplify it, since when I was a med student, I always felt that it's kind of a matter of pure luck that I'm on this side of this side of the bed, meaning any day I could be the patient. Any day I could be the one struggling for infertility, men, women, whatever. So I, I just try as much as possible to put myself in their shoes. What do they expect from that provider or from that healthcare provider, whatever? What do they expect? What would I have expect? And I think even when the failure, when unfortunately negative cycle are there, just being, putting yourself for two seconds only, like what would you want the other person to tell you when the, there is that bad news? And obviously when it, there is a good news, it's easy. I think that's what made me make patient more, being more grateful whenever I tell them about their first negative cycle. And obviously whenever they have the positive results, then they cannot even advertise it more. But what keep them in the practice and they feel like they're just, they're not just another, like another number, essentially, like what everybody say. I think if being in their shoes is very like simple, but at the same time, it's very hard to do, especially when you have a lot of people that you be in, that you have to be in their shoes every day. So you're trying to be empathetic to what they expect and expectations can be divided into circumstantial. There are people that have different expectations based on their personality types. And then maybe there are some things 
that are universal. Do you see some universal expectations that fertility patients expect that it doesn't really depend on personality type? These one or three things are what every fertility patient expects from you? I think every patient in general, they're coming for you the same way you go to, I mean, any other, you go to a plumber, you want them to fix your, your toilet, you're going to fix your, 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 your bathroom. You're not looking to become friends with them. So they're coming to you to help them with their care. Once you provide this help as much as you can, I think from this point on that they can maybe relate to more on a personal level or so. But at the end of the day, they're coming to receive a service. They're not coming to make a friend. They can, they have a lot of friends. They're not. So you, I tend to always focus on many of them who we happen to share. I'm in the age group where many of them are similar to my age or a little bit younger that we happen to have common friends. They're sent to me by friends or some, something. I try to always avoid to interact with them socially till when their care is over. Although many of them will advise, oh, how about we do something together with your wife, with this, especially the one they even have kids before they're coming for a second. If I try to avoid that because why they're here is for this and that's universal. Every patient is coming to receive certain care and you have to provide that. Then you go to the next level. Then you can try to be funny. You can try to social interact with them, whatever. Once you give them what they came here for, that's I think the common denominator for all patients. No patients coming to make a friend. You know, they would like to have a friend as a doctor, but they're coming to get the care. I want to talk about that a, a little bit because I've always felt that way. Even when I was earlier on in business, I could feel if someone was too interested in what I was selling or offering because of my personality, because they got along with me. They thought I was funny. They thought I was a good guy. Yeah. And I really tried to not lead with that. And because I found problems when I did that earlier on, you know, people were buying Griffin Jones fertility bridge for the guy with the beard and the haircut and the cool ideas and the red pants. And, you know, they just had this idea of whatever it was that I did, but then when it, came time to servicing them, they weren't buying into a process. They, they had some idea in their mind and, and it wasn't new in, into a process. And so I, I, I have then sometimes aired the other way, Ronnie, where people are like, you know, you're almost like a dick in the sales process. I, I try not to be so strict, but I do, if we're not getting to business first, then I worry that we're not going to be able to have a, a good social relationship later. And so I just want to make sure that I can serve people. And if not, we can be friends outside. But so talk to me about how you don't go too far to where you're just, it's all business or do not try to mitigate that. No, I mean, I a hundred percent agree with you. I think that the, the personal part is a cherry on top. Like I try, it, it is hard, especially like I said, because socially I'm at the age, but still some of them are, common friends to somebody else I, it's just anyway I actually prefer not to see those patients essentially you know if I feel like it is gonna become like you know my sister-in-law or something I definitely won't see her I'll send somebody else but a friend of a friend you know I try to they try subconsciously to to divert you into somewhere else like for example I can give you an example I have a patient of mine who she had failed multiple times after the first cycle uh, after the second cycle she became pregnant with us and it happened that they have a very close friend that's a friend of mine. We happened to spend New Year together. We were, this is like four or five years ago. We spent New Year's, we shared phone number and I had to give them my phone number. We share phone number. Now, I saw they're done with their family, you know, having children. A year and a half later, the husband reached out for me, has my phone number, have my Facebook on my Facebook thing. Hey, how are you? We want to come. I didn't respond to that. It's a message on Facebook. I didn't respond to that. And then finally he emailed me. I said, I'm sure I see somebody in the office. So I just, patients subconsciously are going to want to go there because they also want a friend, especially when something's stressful and all of that. And they felt like, now, but now that they become back a patient, I had to shift my mindset to back to being, you deal with my office, you come in there. And then sure, I ask her about how they're doing socially. I, I may ask this for everybody, especially now with COVID, how are you guys doing? Are you coping? All of that. So you have to show some empathy, but you know, the interaction shouldn't be through those other platforms or through personal connection, like, you know, especially that this is very private what we do. I mean, you know, it's very private, like, you know, for them, for me, for everybody. I mean, so many times, some patient where a friend of 
distant or close friend to my wife. That's how they came to me. I don't even tell her. I don't even mention it to my wife that, you know, and you, that you have to really make that mental switch that this is one thing and that's something very different. And then regroup at the end, you know, if, if the outcome is successful or if they stop care. I mean, some of them do stop. They're unfortunately not successful, but I think they appreciate that. They appreciate that. Is this contrary to conventional wisdom or is it conventional wisdom? And it's contrary to maybe what's popular about the idea of bedside manner right now. I think there's some people listening and, and they think, yeah, well, I try to do that. I try to, to address the issues first and to, to make sure that we understand everything and show how we can help. And then I'm more personal because that's what I understand to be professional. But then I'm getting lit up on reviews because people are saying that my bedside manner is cold. And meanwhile, there's all of these physicians on social media specialties that seem like influencers. They're like people you want to hang out with. And that's part of their personal brand. So is what you're talking about, is it contrary to what people are consuming of? Contrary to current practice across the board, I think, not just infertility, but so many other different things. I think it is contrary to that. But Maybe this is the maybe that's how I was fortunate in my reviews. Maybe let's say or my patient that they saw that I'm kind of like different with that. Now, by no means you should be not like not sure empathy, don't care for patient because not just because I, I I personally care, but again I remember what I said earlier. I could be that other patient. Just before we spoke today, there's a patient of mine who had a successful outcome. She's pregnant. She's with her OB. She's four months pregnant. I'm not allowed to see her medically now because we don't carry my practice past 12 weeks. She's 13 weeks. I got a message today, an email that at 40, she was with OB and there is no heartbeat. I grabbed the phone and I call her, see how she's doing. I told her I would advise next not to be discouraged because I mean it, you know, like I, like I, I, I mean it. And also it's fair for her to hear, she reached out to me. I didn't look around if she had told me through social media or whatever. I mean, that wouldn't be the way to go, you know, but Back to your point, I don't want to kind of diverge too much, but yes, that's how many practitioners or in any industry, not just in medicine, you just follow the trend, the social media, they're friendly, he's funny, they do all of that. Like there is a reality shows about this. It just, I don't think that's fair for the patient and it's definitely not my personality, but you mentioned also something very about the call. I just recently heard, I have a group of patients that are actually from overseas that they come here just for their care because they had failed multiple times in their own country or in Europe. And I just have a certain buildup of those patients that come in here and they happen to reside in one building because their country who sponsors their stay has a building that they put them in it. So they all talk essentially. And I heard from a nurse, the nurse that go provide their care, they say they all love me. That's why they even sent their relative and whatever. But they don't like that I don't socialize with them because we have the same culture, the same background. That's from the Middle East, etc. And I think if I did that, if I did the opposite, you know, like I wouldn't have had the same quote unquote success or following up because they didn't come here to make it would be nice but I didn't so but she mentioned something which I'm starting to work on is that when I'm seeing them we tend to be a little bit quicker visit they would want to spend more time now now it's COVID I cannot spend a lot of time inside the patient inside the, with the patient inside the room but that's something that I start to say maybe I should you know I tend to feel like hey you're here for this care I'm addressing it etc once they start to to go about other stuff maybe I should take a little bit more time to address that, not to feel that cold person, but I'm not going to become their friend, at least for the time being, till when they finish their care. So you're appreciating the perspective of the patient is that they're coming to you for a problem. They could do a number of different things to make other friends. Most of them have plenty of friends and they're coming to you to solve a very serious problem. And it's your job to address the case at hand and to explain how you're going to solve that problem. So how do you do that the first time that you meet with someone? How do you set the stage of this is how this relationship is founded? I mean, first I heard that directly and indirectly from many patients. I take a lot of time of reviewing all of the records. I spend some time more than like if there is 200 pages, 100, and I go over every single thing, the relevant stuff and the kind of not relevant stuff. And I make sure that they know that I went through that. Many of them went did multiple cycle before 
no matter where those were done, they're very valuable. You cannot just say because we're Cornell, we're a big center, we're not gonna look at what other people did, especially if they had partial success or maybe some of them didn't have children. So that's, I, I make sure that I review it and I mention it to them and they know that I'm reviewing it. So I'm taught, they could be from my home country, from my town, from other, I don't go over like which school you went to, what did you hang out with? Which, and like I said, many of them are more or less in my age group or a little bit younger. I leave this at the end of the discussion so that they know that, you know, and, and I actually, I speak two other languages I, uh, very comfortably. I speak French and Arabic. And if they are French or Arabic, I just say the hi and bye in those languages, but the whole care, the whole medical discussion is done in, in English, basically, you know, assuming they speak English, of course. And then after that point, if they start to ask me for occasion, some of them, oh, can we get your number, et cetera, like to kind of, you know, just to, to I was like, the best way to reach me, which is to get my email and my assistant email, because now I'm talking to you. If somebody has bleeding, I have something urgent, they reach out to me. I'm not going to disrupt this. And it's, and, and I mentioned it to them. I was like, if I'm doing surgery on you, I'm not going to stop that in order to address somebody who could have something urgent need to be addressed. So I make sure they understand that the way of communicating is my direct email, as well as always to see my, somebody in my office, the nurse, as well as the, the, the medical secretary to arrange their visit and et cetera. And I think then they start to feel like this is not like, we chose him maybe because of his background, maybe because of his review, but he's not just focused on that. He's focused on my care, what I did before and where we're going to go move forward. And lastly, I always make sure to tell them, which is, I believe it. I don't just say it. I'm very fortunate that I practice in this area. We all actually are very fortunate in those where fertility centers are present, that there are like for example, New York City, we're fortunate that I think we live here because there are amazing restaurants, amazing hotel and amazing fertility doctor, many of them. You can just walk across the street. So by me reviewing another, another practice protocol, it's just a different point of view. It's never like, I can't believe they did that. And, and most of them, they were not happy with the care there. So you could kind of build on that if you wish. I try to avoid doing that because I'm sure that other he or she doctor who took care of them wanted their best interest in my just They were not successful. And the opposite is true. And I make sure they know that from the first visit. Whenever I'm seeing somebody who did care before, I was like, I'm going to tell you my point of view. This is by no means reflection bad on the other places because patients who are not successful with us or with me, they're going to go there because they're very good and vice versa. And then they feel like I really focused on them. I'm not focused on making myself look better or or my center or my statistics look better and et cetera and all of that. One of the things you talked about was the delineation of communication. It's not the best place to text you very often. There are some people that are just on every single text, email, phone call. That's how their brain wires. They can respond instantly. Many of us aren't that. I'm not one of those people either. And if they're asking you some questions, it's lost outside of the chain of communication of the people that can respond to it. If my clients text me and ask me what's going on, it's like, I don't know. Like the project manager knows what's going on. The account manager, the project manager knows what's going on with the work that we're doing. The account manager knows what's going on with your needs, what you're doing. The strategists know what's going on with what they're helping with. Um, they can still text me if, hey, Griff, I just want your advice on this. But even then, I have a different phone number to my same phone. When clients see I have an iPhone, they're like, why do you show up as green? Because they're going to a separate work phone number so that I can keep that straight. Because if it's mixed up with group threads to my cousins about the Buffalo Bills or to my fiance, then talk a little bit more about that delineation of communication. How do you formalize that? You do the exact same thing that I do. Like, you know, I, I tend, however, no, I respond to email by the end of the day, every single day. I, I have an OCD seeing red. And if you look now at my phone, like on the Gmail or whatever, the email tab, you're going to see like now I just, because we start to talk, I have 14, I can assure you by the book. 3, 4 p.m., they're all done, you know, basically. So I do respond, but by that way, if they put something on WhatsApp, I have international patient that, I don't know how some of them were able to find my number. And sometimes it's like 9 a.m. In, in Dubai, it's 2 a.m. here. So my phone, I actually sign as the WhatsApp communication completely. I only see it whenever I log in. And whenever they, like, typically we do the consult, especially now virtually, and I ask them, any records that you haven't sent 
I'm going to send you an email. Please reply all to CC everybody. Because if you send me your blood count just to me, there is a very good chance we're going to have to repeat it when you come in. Uh, because, I mean, you get like 30, 40 emails sometimes. I'm not going to. So they always, and, and if they, especially the international one, they tend to still, despite that, reply just to me. I reply back to them and I put everybody else from your team, like similar to your team, your, your project manager, et cetera. It's a training exercise that, and, and now initially I would miss it sometime. Now I became allergic to the fact that that's not done. <laughs> you know, I just like tell the nurse, please make sure you spoke to Mrs. So-and-so because she emailed me, ask her to email you or something before I forget. And it is honestly for their best interest. If they, I have occasionally, for example, patient that come in and they want to, I'm, I'm part of a group. I'm part of, we're like 14 different fertility doctor. And some patient wants to everything to be done by one person. And I, I explain for them why that's not for their be best interest when it's a big group. It's like, you don't want me to be doing an ectopic pregnancy at 6 a.m. in the morning and come to your retrieval at nine, you know? And, and I think that also something that you have to train the patient to understand that it's for your own interest to have things divided appropriately. And whenever you have a, a problem to have somebody to focus on it, obviously it's gonna be me in, in, in your day-to-day -day activity, but if something urgent, don't just reach out to me, especially not like on social media or anything like that. Most of them don't actually, I have to say. So you are setting the stage for how the process of communication is going to go. Do you set the stage of your personal philosophy meeting in the very first minutes of your first consult with a patient? Do you say, hey, look, I understand a lot of people like to be friends. I really enjoy my patients and I do like getting to know them, but I'm very focused on getting to business first because I want to make sure that I, I serve it. Do you, do you take like a minute or two to set the stage uh, I, I don't directly like that, but I think indirectly they probably understand that. And, and all, early on, most people don't want that. Like they want it, like you will attract them if you do that, but I don't think they expected it early on. They might expect it later on in the middle of the care or something. Uh, now the one that are, there's, this is the app, 90% of the patient. The one that are really like came to you through a personal contact, I, I try to ask them the least amount of, like, for example, somebody who just came to me because they want a fertility doctor and they live with me and they find me. I ask them, where do they live? When they come to the visit, I ask them if they have children, whether their children go to school, et cetera. The one that they came personally, because I kind of know that. I don't really pretend to ask them those questions. I try not to ask them those social questions to let their mindset focus. You're here just for that you know, essentially, but I, I never do it like directly like that. Cause I think they might, many of them, I mean, also they might feel like that's kind of a little bit too aggressive. And I, I have to also actually forgot to mention something. Many of the patient I became very close friend with afterwards. One of them is actually my, my very good friend. Some of them became friend with my wife, like they're very close, but once they finish their care. So I, I enjoy most the interaction I have with the patient, but I don't want this to, to, to change why they're here to see me. That's the priority. So I wouldn't necessarily recommend setting the stage in that way for you because you're doing really well across platforms. You have a really high rating and coming from dozens, if not hundreds of reviews. And that isn't the case for everyone. So if someone is listening and they're thinking everything that Dr. Elias has said so far, I'm doing and people come on and they say I'm cold, they say I'm a jerk. And I would say if that's the case, if that's the type of your response that that you're getting, then setting the stage can really be useful. And you just end it with, is that okay? And you pause and you let people digest it even if, for a second. And I, I've seen a lot of success with physicians doing that, even if they change nothing about their personality. Sometimes people can say, listen, I'm not a warm and fuzzy type of doctor. I just want to put that out there. Your care is extremely important to me. I tend to deliver facts without... Uh, a lot of social softening and uh, I tend to be very direct. Is that okay? And people, even if they're not okay with that, at least they, they know what to expect. Yeah. I mean, for those cases, I agree with you. I think setting the tone early on, but also saying why you're not doing it. It's not that you're not doing it because, Correct. because I am focused on your care. I think actually, since you mentioned the review, I mean, I haven't checked recently, but I think one of the 
And I learned this actually indirectly, interesting enough from you, basically. I never, because when you mentioned about, I never really looked at you because I know that people are gonna be, have five stars and low star. But, but whenever you told me many years ago, I actually went to a few websites and I did not look at the five stars one. I looked at, like, for example, I had one, I forgot, but it was seven out of 10. And I saw why. Now that patient, I remember her very well because she so far had two children with us when the first child is when she had an ectopic pregnancy and I operated on her. And when I finished the surgery, I went and spoke to her husband and her family explained everything. Later on, she came back, she did the cycle and she got pregnant. Before the pregnancy though, she's the one who wrote the seven. She was not happy that I didn't call her the next day. Now, in my mindset, I did inform them everything I knew, everything that happened, and not I saved her life, but uh, I helped her out with the ectopic. This could have been a serious condition. But since then, I'll make sure I call the patient, if not the same day, the next day, because I forgot, this was a mistake on my end. I forgot that if I was a patient, I would want to hear from my doctor, not just from my wife, what the doctor told her. So I looked at this, like, I think for those providers or, or people who are listening, who they feel like they're getting less review. I think I would look why the patient, if something is unreasonable, then of course not. But I would look what they said and don't, don't like rub it off and say, oh, whatever. She had two children with us where she was denied care at another large academic institution in, in the Boston area. Like they told her, we won't treat you because you have no chance. She came back, had a second baby after the first baby. And that review is still out there, seven out of 10, basically, which is not bad, but still like it was seven out of 10. Um, you know, I would ask those people who are listening, who are interested in deliver the bad news yourself and deliver the news yourself, not your staff, not your nurse, not your whatever. And back for her, that was my mistake by not calling. And since then I've been calling everybody and most of them do appreciate it. I mean, if not everybody's like, oh, thank you for checking. Thank you for calling. We're talking about patient satisfaction today, and I can't think about patient satisfaction without thinking about Engaged MD. I'm on Engaged MD's website right now, and there's fertility center after fertility center, the UK, the United States, Canada. Some are in academic practice. Some are privately owned. Some are in larger networks, and patient satisfaction has been a result for all of these centers adopting Engaged MD because Engaged MD allows patients to access your learning plan and sign their consent forms on their laptop, on their tablet, and on their smartphones. They get to do that at the convenience that's on their schedule. And they get to do that in the comfort of their home. They can repeat it when they need to. So when they come in to see you, they're getting real care from you because they have that access to you in such a way that you're able to customize that interaction to their needs. And they're coming in with a much better educational foundation. So if you want to take advantage of a couple dollars off, if you're one of the few people that still hasn't signed up for EngagedMD, go to EngagedMD.com slash IRH and mention that you heard Griffin Jones talk about them or you heard them on the podcast and they'll give you 25% off of your implementation fee. That's engagedmd.com slash IRH. I'm interested in where this personal philosophy overlaps with and segues into process because you are talking about your personal philosophy is that we take care of the matter at hand and because that's what you're coming for is for me to deliver care and social is and more a little bit more of that personal touch comes later and you've talked about how you break that into communication to account for that so talk a little bit more about process because i'm looking at one of your positive reviews right now. And the person says one of the reasons, uh, I know why he has a big following. I don't have to stay on top of the process like with other clinics. And so what is that process to stay on top of? I think it starts from, like I said, from the transparency from the first visit, basically make sure that they, I reviewed all your records. This is what I have. And I tell them, maybe I missed something. Correct me if I'm wrong. Second is like, when you said, you know, we remain on top of things, there is a constant line of communication with the patient almost on a daily basis in the midst of an IVF cycle. If she asks the, the nurse a question, I'll make sure I train my nurses 
not to wait till 5 p.m. to send me the message, to send me the message right away and I respond with it. So the patient feels like she had a question today, it's answered by the end of the day. And I tell the patient, if you don't hear an answer by 4 p.m. to call us essentially. And if, for example, somebody who had a, like today, patient had an egg retrieval yesterday, her results were suboptimal today. I got some information from the embryologist before just talking to her and giving her result. You had this result today. I told her why I think that happened, but I'm gonna wait for the final embryologist report before I discuss with it. So she feels like I am on top of it. It wasn't like, well, I did the stimulation from this one on, it's on the, in the lab, it's on your egg and whatever. And lastly, and probably this is the most important one is whenever they get a negative pregnancy test, which is basically the, the measure of success in what we do, I try to call them myself either before the nurse or, or the same day. I don't wait like five days later or something to go. Now, I'm sure some days I didn't do that because I finished late or there was something or, or it slipped my heart. But I think if they're positive, the nurse could call them before me because everybody wants to hear that. But once you hear the negative result, you want to end whenever you call them with that, you ideally want to have some, some idea about future plan, not just to give them false hope, but to tell them that you know, you're on top of that case again. It wasn't like, well, just try again. We're going to do the same thing over again. It sounds like there's a lot of manual involvement from you, even if it's not from you, it's directing your staff. And so how does that work? You mentioned that you're in a big group and you have many other physicians. How does that work when one physician has a process, but maybe it is or isn't the same as the other docs in a bigger group? That's a tricky question, and it's a very good point. Now, what I tell patients, because patients ask the same question like you, every day I look at every single patient of mine come in seven days a week, even when I'm not here, because we're now with the iPhone, with all of that, we can log in. So I do micromanage my patient behind the curtain every day. So there is a certain place in the chart that is I actually communicate the nurse typically by 1 or 2 p.m. because the results are back what to tell the patient at that point. But I do tell the patient also, because we're a back group, don't expect that I'm gonna be able, to, I'll try to do your retrieval if I'm available, but that's not the most important part of the patient because there is so many of us and because we're all trained here, because we all do a lot, we're all very experienced with that technical part, essentially. Like, you know, but the actual, which is patient understands once you mention it, you tell them, you know, like, Everybody does a lot every day. Everybody's trained. They think this is the critical part. It's actually not. The critical part is managing the cycle, not as much doing the actual physical retrieval or embryo transfer in a big group where people are very experienced, right? So you're not doing it like you're not having first year resident doing something like that. So I think that's what's come down to like on those 14 days, let's say leading up to, you're managing the 13 days of them. And it's the last day that somebody else and the day of their fertilization result, meaning the day after the retrieval, either me or my direct nurse is calling them and telling them what I was gonna tell them if I couldn't get a hold of them. Like I, call, I had four patients yesterday, I called three of them already, the first one, by the time her results were back, I didn't have a chance to call her yet. When does physician preference overlap? With, or when does it become something that should be adopted as a process wider within a group? Like, it, Hopefully no group is saying is laying down every guideline of the way physicians should communicate with patients. That has to be up to the physician, but at a certain point, wow, this really is necessary for our, our process. So we should adopt this into the patient. Like this should be a step that happens in the patient portal, or we should adopt another software or uh, to, to, because this, these two doctors are doing this so frequently manually, we should just get this software for the group when does physician preference become a process that, that should at least be pitched to the wider group, if not adopted by the wider group? I think it depends on all parties involved, meaning the patient, the doctor, and the, the supporting staff. Meaning if, if you have a lot of patients, you have to do that. I mean, you're just going to miss things, something. If the doctors prefer that, which like in our group, 14 doctors, maybe 10 of them do something like that. Four of them, four of them do not. You know, they're typically the more senior one, the less busy one, et cetera. And obviously they're amazing doctor. People come from all over to see them, but they have a diff 
And third, and as importantly, is which I find it in most nursing and supporting staff, they would want something like that. Like they want that, that kid, because the nurses also like, you know, it simplifies a lot when things are documented, especially if the nurse covered two different doctors that varies a little bit in the way they're practiced. You know, you would want to know, you're not going to remember, you know, when you have, I mean, we do like more than 5,000 IVF cycles a year and, and we see almost 100,000 visits a year or something like that, like between the different providers. You, so I think when when all you, you're going to have to start somewhere, I think either the patient dictating and the doctor being open-minded to do that. And, and obviously, I think the nurses that all are the supporting staff, technicians that all want that. I'm just fortunate that, you know, I mean, I'm busy enough to need to have to do that to simplify my life and for safety. My nurses love that. And I, I adopted it since whenever you know, like we have the electronic system in place. And I try to do more and more and more and more. So what if it's about process that requires resources? And this is kind of my obligatory time to always, I do have a little bit of skepticism of the freedom of REIs and academic institutions. I don't believe that it's as draconian as it can sometimes be described. But I do know that when I talk to people, on face value, they're always the ones that get to decide everything. And then, you know, you, you peel the onion a little bit and there's a lot of red tape. And I, I, an example that I talk about on the show is Engaged MD. And full disclosure, I'm a sponsor for the audience listening and they sponsor our show. But they do because it's something it's like, man, that's just such an easy win. Like that's something that people, everybody should use. Not everybody's even able to make that decision. That's one. I think of another I remember being in an, actually in your office, this was several years ago, and I saw uh, a magazine there and it just said, you know, property of Wild Cornell. And I was thinking, oh, Lisa Duran, a patient experience consultant would say, you know, never do that. And so it's like, well, is that a decision they can make? Or is the decision to hire a consultant like Lisa a decision they can make? Like, so what about when you really believe in something, but and, and it's part of the process that you feel is necessary to have patient satisfaction at this level, but it requires resources. I wish you, you know, I mean, I, I agree with you. You're right. I'm not going to, like, there are when you're in an academic phase, not even academic phase, but you're in a private place and you're not the senior person or a big partner, there is a limit on something that you can or cannot do. But I think with what we were talking about earlier, it's not a major thing, basically. It just it involved maybe more work on my end to, I talk to the IT team to develop something and, and our, we don't use Epic. We have a software that actually was designed, it's called IVF for Windows. It was designed back in 2000, 20 years ago, just for us. So we have I, four or three or four IT guys that work just for our department. So they don't have to go anybody to add something in it. So that part I was able to do but if it comes back to something like you said about the magazine or marketing or advertising, I have to go to the higher up. And unfortunately, many of them do not agree with what I would say less senior people are willing to do. They just from a different mindset. And you're right. That's a challenge. And that's a challenge across the board. And I don't really know other than trying to, 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 to navigate the system. I don't know if there is a clear answer here, how you can just force somebody to do something that they're not used to, although it's very helpful. Well, 153 positive Google reviews on one listing alone seems like it would be leverage in a conversation like that. You know, in terms of if there's something that you feel is really important for the group to do, you do at least have, you know, it's not randomized control, but you at least have something that's more quantifiable than anecdotal data that says this might work. You're right. I tried, to be honest with you. I tried with this stuff. I tried, you remember back then when we met with you, we still don't have anybody who does anything for us. Like all these reviews are all personally, like they're not micro or managed by anybody behind the curtain. They're not even like, you know, like they're just, they just happen. So I think this is the tip of the answer. There's a lot waiting if somebody, know how to manage it better even the marketing like you know if you look at more specifically our website i mean it's it's bad i think the reason why you have this is because of the medical care not because of that other stuff and i really 
I can keep trying, which I tried before, but now that we reopened this discussion, it's just gonna make me ask again. But I really, I don't know how to convince the higher up people unless my title changed and I became in charge or something like that, then it will happen overnight. But that's a long way. Yeah, I think there's some things that is, are pure marketing. It's pure just getting people in the door. And it's it's a little bit less relevant when people are coming to an institution. But then there's other things. I've talked about this when I had Dr. Amanda Kalin on the show from Yale and pretty much every guest that I have from an academic institution, I talk about this is that there is an overlap between what used to be business development and what is now the standard of care. And I, I put something like, patient experience consult as a part of that, you know, it used to be, oh, it was just kind of a nice thing to call people by their first name and have everything ready for them when they walked in the door, get people to recommend the practice more to get people in to get more new patients. But now it's not about getting more new patients. It's just that's part of building reported delivered care or something like engaged MD, where it's this is how we prepare our patients in order to be better educated so we can use the resources of our staff for them. And so that overlap is something that I, I, I think I think are vulnerable to academic institutions. But let's try to make this useful for the people, assuming that they're on the end where they, they can't make many of those decisions. What are some of the things that you would leave docs with that they can they have within their control, whether it's tied to any kind of system or process or not? I mean, to a certain extent, as much direct communication with the patient, like I said, calling them, not every day, but calling them with a the big result, positive tests, negative tests, miscarriages, et cetera, calling them after surgery. That's in people's hands. No, no academic institution is going to tell you call or don't call or something. Uh, I think that it just makes me think of, obviously, there is a lot of reviews that are read, but one of my favorite ones were actually the one from patients who were not successful, but they still recommended me. That actually really like, you know, had a special place in my heart, basically the fact that, or getting letters or getting holidays cards from patients who were not successful. Or for example, recently I had a patient who I did surgery on her. She didn't multiple IVF, didn't get pregnant, did embryo donation, get pregnant and made sure to reach out to me and tell me another patient. So I think, you know, being, communicating with them directly, that's, that's not every day because that's, that's not, it's impossible to do basically. I think that's in, in your own hand. The other thing I, I'm just trying to think of something else that you could do is laying out the expectation early on. I think telling the patient who is 45 years old that the chances of you getting pregnant using your own eggs early on is this, it sets up the expectation somewhere versus patient expect one egg, one embryo, one baby. You have to be really very frank. And that's, you have to make sure the patient understands this is not a mistake of her own. This is nothing that she could have done. That's that's also something that you could do early on. This is human physiology and this is the expectation. You might do better than your average age, but the average age is such essentially. And actually very importantly, what I do quite often, whenever something, I tell her, I'm one of 14 people, I'm going to present it to the group and I'll come back to you with what everybody else is going to say if they're going to say something differently. And I'll make sure I tell her when that's going to happen and to expect a call from me by that day and if not, to reach back. I do this very often for patients who are 35 years old who didn't get pregnant after two cycles when everything else looked fine. I'll make sure to do it internally. And, and, and I encourage them if they want to seek another opinion, everybody should be humble. And I ask them actually, if you don't mind, after you see, tell me what they tell you, because maybe there's something I learned, I, I would learn from that. And that's, it's not very common because typically most of those patients that come to us that are not pregnant did fail multiple times. They're not really the first, but occasionally patients go travel to, a, to another state or something, get a second opinion or now remotely they do it. And I ask them, what would I do? I mean, I have a patient now that she failed multiple times before she did one cycle with us. Also, unfortunately, didn't get pregnant. She's actually doing donor egg from a center in Europe, but she has to do the monitoring with, with us. Very happy. Like the fact like she must, like, I didn't give her any positive outcome. She unfortunately didn't get pregnant, but she still wants to come do her monitoring here versus any other doctor that's around or her original doctor that she did with him that he's also local. So that's also something that you could just, I think because I laid up the expectation early on, I retained her in a way, essentially. And I hope she's 
get pregnant with a donor egg. And I think she will indirectly credit me of, with that also. What about those those expectations that can be landmines for negative reviews, like the example of the prognosis of the 45-year-old patient? I sometimes read negative reviews that say, this doctor called me old, or if it has to do with BMI, this doctor called me fat. And in many cases, I don't see that doctor saying those words. It certainly can be the case that some doctors may be crass, but in many cases, I think it's being received a totally different way than it's being delivered. And so how do you navigate that? I think it's all how you word it. In other words, if you tell somebody, I tend to use the word age group. I was like, in your age group, this is what we expect. And this is, keep in mind, I, this is not diabetes. This is not cancer, not hyper. This is not a disease. This is a human physiology. In your age group, the average is this, and you have your average results is that. This is what I expect you to do more or less on et cetera. Same thing when it comes with the BMI. I don't really stress too much about it because there is a, obviously it's better for everybody to have a normal BMI for many health benefit. But between asking the patient to lose that 100 extra pound and waiting those two years for the female patient, basically, that's going to have a major impact on her egg quality, et cetera. So there is a fine line where you can use that within a certain BMI that we typically don't see above it in what I practice. I, I, I agree with you. I don't think the most, if not all doctors say in your age um, or because you're old and et cetera. But I tell them, you, I, I tend to tell them, actually, you know your age as much as better than me. You know your age before we even met. And in this age group, this is what you should expect. If you ask me, I want to do this once and all options at the table, of course, I would advise you to do donor egg, but that's a personal decision. You have to be comfortable with that. I didn't choose your partner and I cannot tell you to choose donor egg or not. But to go through it, I don't want you to feel like we're dragging you into something with a certain success, knowing that you, you know, those are the odds. And this is by no fault of your own. You did not do anything wrong. This is human reproduction and that's how it works. And then I think most patients will kind of feel they're not one of a kind. They didn't cause this. This is not, they didn't. Same thing when I actually, same thing along the same line when patient have a miscarriage. I was like, before you ask me, you could not have caused that, except maybe if you smoke like crazy. Before you ask me, and they still ask, by the way, but you cannot prevent the miscarriage nor cause one early on. And you have to know that. And I keep saying it over and over, over and over. And they still ask, but then they feel like they give them a sense of relief. Same thing with the age. Nobody calls their age to be what they are. And you, and I also, another word, another sentence that I use commonly, which I also believe in it, the best time to get pregnant is when you, you're ready to get pregnant. It's not when I tell you, it's not when your mom tells you, it's not when your partner tells you. If you were not ready at 35 and now you're 42 and you're ready, now is the time to get pregnant. You know, if you were ready at 35, you would force that. That's not good for you, for the pregnancy, for et cetera. And I think that makes many patients that kind of like feel like, okay, I didn't do anything wrong. It is what it is. I'm going to do my best. Yeah. Those are two really actionable pointers. I hope people get some wisdom from there. I didn't make a distinction earlier on in the show that I'm going to make now because at our company, it's official point of view that patient satisfaction and online reputation are not exactly the same thing. Online reputation overlaps with patient satisfaction, but there are ways to get representation on online reputation one way or the other that aren't always representative of the entire patient population. And then there's also things that you have to do with online reputation to maintain that online, but it's not the same as patient satisfaction. Do you use any kind of patient satisfaction measure a, a press gainy and net promoter score, any of those? Not me specifically, but the center or the IVF center, they do that, but they tend to do that as more so, I don't know how to kind of like explain it better, but we have the patient who is seeing this, their own respective doctor, which we have different offices. In my case, it's the office in Westchester and occasionally the one in the city. But there is also when they kind of go through the IVF cycle, when they go through that, let's say hospital essentially. So that's more so for the hospital part, the experience with the IVF, with the billing, with all of that, because they don't really direct them towards the east specific physician, which now that you mentioned, I think we also should um, maybe also look at specifically each of their doctor's office and practices within the bigger umbrella. They tend to be just for the bigger umbrella. 
how do you want to conclude about the topic of patient satisfaction, knowing that our audience is, it comes from across the fertility field, but it's really heavy on physicians. So how would you want to conclude with them? I would go back to the first point that I said, and it's a pure luck that we, as a physician, we're on this end of the, we're on this end of the table, any day we could be the other end. And it's not just saying it like which we were told, oh, you know, you, you want to, how would you want to treat your sister or your yourself? But I really mean it. Like, you know, once you make that mental note that what would I want to hear? What am I doing? I think that will be, the patient will feel your, it doesn't matter if you socialize with her or not. She feels your your friend at that point. You know, you, you really care about her. I think that's, if somebody could make it and, and it's, a, it's a practice, you have to like, you know, remember that, you know, any day, one of us, all of us could be patient. And how would we want to have be delivered the bad news? The good news is easy to deliver. Everybody could deliver it. It's more so the bad news. Uh, I think that's how would, I would advise the physician among the, the audience. Um, for the patient, all our reviews are great, but typically they're the extreme. They're not most people. Most people are not going online to reviews. Most people are taking care of their babies or doing some, you know, or focusing on their care. So you should read it, but have the analytical mind to read anything that is you see online. You know, it's typically not most, I mean, maybe you mentioned, maybe I'm fortunate that most of the one, if, you know, I find it impossible that all of my reviews are going to be good, but, you know, I think most patients are not reviewing online. Most patients, so I always tell patients, the best doctor is the one in our field, is the one who give you a baby. No matter what his, his or her reviews are, no matter how much you socialize with him or her, the one, because again, to my second point, you came for a service and you expect the service to be provided. Once people provide it, it's become best friend with them. They don't ever go back to them. That's different, but make sure that always focus on the, the chief complaint or the reason why you came in. Dr. Roni Elias, thank you for coming on the show and sharing your thoughts about patient satisfaction. I think people are going to get a lot out of it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to Inside Reproductive Health, sponsored by Engaged MD. For technology to streamline patient education and informed consent, visit engagedmd.com slash IRH for 25% off your implementation fee. That's engagedmd.com slash IRH.